Healthy Hacker, Episode 12. Hello and welcome to The Healthy Hacker, where we talk about programming, puzzles, memory fitness diet, and everything else that you, a healthy hacker, find interesting. I'm Chris Hunt, and this week, we've got a special guest, Mr. Matt Perger, and he's going to come on the show and talk about something that's very dear to my heart. I'm talking about coffee. Twice a day, I enjoy a good cup of coffee, and I'm always trying to make my coffee better. Well, Matt knows how to make coffee better than almost anyone else in the world. Hi, I'm Matt Perger, a competitive barista in Melbourne, Australia. So Matt's going to come on the show, and he's going to talk about coffee culture, roasting, competitive brewing, and he's going to teach us how to make the perfect cup of coffee at home. Before we get into that, though, let's do the workout of the week. The workout of the week is a section where I like to take a workout that I've done recently or seen recently or heard someone talk about or something, a workout that looks fun, and I tell you all about it, and hopefully sometime this next week, you'll get a chance to try it. I try to keep them short and simple and you know ready to do on travel, whatever, minimum equipment. This workout I just did on Friday, and I actually had a shoulder injury, which is why I did this workout, and it was really great. So I'm going to share it with you today, and hopefully you get a chance to do it this week. So this workout has three different components. What you want to do is start a timer and let that timer run for 12 minutes. And during that 12 minutes, you want to do as many rounds of 30 double-unders. And by double-unders, I mean jump rope double-unders. So you jump up in the air and the rope swings under you two times, double-unders. 30 of those. And if you can't do double-unders or if you don't have a jump rope, then you can do jumping jacks instead. That's going to be a lot easier, but you can switch it out if you want to. After you get done with the double-unders, then do 15 goblet squats. And a goblet squat is just like a normal squat where you just Bring your butt down to the ground, past the parallel position, and then stand back up again. But the special thing about a goblet squat is you want to hold something really heavy against your chest. It's kind of like doing a normal weighted back squat, except you don't need a fancy squat rack. All you need to do is find something heavy, hold it really tight to your chest, and then squat down and try to keep that good squat form. So you have a nice straight back, you lower your butt down below your knees, and then you stand back up again. So traditionally, when you're inside a gym, people like to do goblet squats with a kettlebell, and they'll use like a 53-pound kettlebell. If you have a kettlebell, use a kettlebell. If you don't have a kettlebell, though, like I said, just grab something heavy. Could be a couple books. Could be a jug of water. Could be a desk in your hotel room. I've totally done that with a desk before. Whatever you want, grab something heavy, 15 squats, and then when you're done with those, finish the round with 10 push-ups. These are just normal push-ups. And in the show notes, as usual, I have links to videos of each of these exercises if you want to see somebody else doing the exercise. So again, 12 minutes of time, and you want to do as many rounds as possible of 30 double-unders or jumping jacks, 15 goblet squats, and 10 push-ups. And if you want to share your time in the show notes, you can do that at healthyhacker.com slash 12. And now, folks, it's time to talk with Matt Perger. He's been a competitive barista for over six 
years. In 2011 and 2013, he was a finalist in the World Barista Championship, getting third place and then second place. And then in 2012, he won the World Brewers' Cup Championship. And finally, this year, in 2014, Matt mixed coffee and alcohol better than anybody else at the World Coffee in Good Spirits Championship, getting a first place trophy. So we're going to talk with him now about how to make the perfect cup of coffee. I am really into coffee, but not as into coffee as you, obviously. The way I discovered you is I was actually Googling different brewing methods to learn how to make coffee at home. And I stumbled upon this whole competitive aspect and then realized that you know, there's all these different types of competitions for making different types of coffee and everybody uses different techniques in these competitions and it's really cool. Would you mind giving like an intro about yourself and your history with coffee yeah, yeah. And, and how you even got into competing and how you learned how to make coffee and things like that? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's a bit of a rabbit hole once you, uh, once you start learning about all that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I have been in coffee for six years. Um, and when I started out, I was working at a terrible, terrible cafe in my hometown. Um, coffee was incredibly bad. Um, I'm sure you can imagine. Um, and then I started to sort of try to hunt down how to do it better and actually understand why people enjoyed coffee because I hated it. Mm. Um, and that led me on a bit of a, uh, a bit of a garden path down into the specialty coffee industry, um, where there were a lot of very generous people, um, who sort of helped me. Um, understand what was going on and helped me um, on my journey towards learning more about how to make coffee taste better. Um, so at some point in there, I began to enjoy it. I can't remember when, mm. uh, but it happened, uh, which I'm thankful for. Um, and pretty close to the beginning, I started competing because I saw quite early on that that was going to be a way for me to uh, accelerate my learning um, and accelerate my networking. So um, you might might be a weird question to sort of think about how a barista could compete because uh, I guess, you know, baristas all sort of do the same thing. Mm. But uh, generally, it's a competition um, and a performance um, at the same time. So it's a 15-minute um, performance or routine where you uh, essentially make coffee for some judges um, and they uh, some of them drink the coffee and watch your presentation and other judges um, analyze your technical ability, your accuracy, um, your proficiency, and it all sort of comes together into a, um, quite a large score. I think there's about 800, and 800 or 900 points um, that are possible. So there's mm. a lot of different avenues of um, sort of detail and taste and things like that. And uh, at the end of it, it all comes down to, you know, who had the best coffee, who made it the best, um, and did the judges really sort of understand what your angle is and um, what you were trying to achieve. Mm. And what was, the, what was your first time you started competing in making coffee? That was back in 2009. What competition was that? Was that a regional one? That was, yeah, that was like a state uh, competition um, back in Sydney. So I, I grew up near Sydney, so mm-hmm. I was in that state. Um, and I failed dismally. <laughs> it was absolutely atrocious. Uh, but, you know, everyone has to do their first one. Sure, of course. <laughs> and uh, the way I discovered you was finding um, this competition called the World Barista championship which yes. seems like it's the after the regional competition maybe the one you went to maybe not but everybody kind of <clears throat> competes on on the world level is that how that works so yeah usually the state um competitions will feed into a national competition mm-hmm. um, where the winners will sort of miss the repechage or open round from the state competitions and then everyone gets thrown into a final 
And then only one winner from each national competition gets to move on to the Worlds. So you have to be the best in your country to be able to compete against the rest of the world. Oh, that's interesting. And, and that does mean that some countries are underrepresented, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like maybe the, uh, the finals from one country would you know, all beat uh, the winner from another country. But um, I guess it keeps it international and keeps it... Um, uh, it doesn't focus on any countries just because they have more coffee or a better coffee uh, industry. Okay, that's that's cool. There's, uh, have you heard of CrossFit before? Yes. Okay. There's very a familiar. there's a competitive aspect to that as well, and it's similar. There's regions that are extremely competitive, where there's like five or six people that could literally win the CrossFit games, but they're all in the yeah. same region. And then you take and the, and so you grab just like you know two of these people, but you know that basically everybody in this regional competition could have you know destroyed almost half the people that are at the world competition. Yes. Yeah. It sounds like it's the same kind of same kind of balance. Very, very similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the the barista championship that's is that focusing on a specific style of coffee? Yes. Do you need to make specific drinks for that? Yes. Yeah, so uh, the barista competition is espresso. Mm. So the drinks you make are espressos, cappuccinos, and then signature drinks based on espresso. Mm. So a signature drink can be anything that's legal uh, that can be drunk. How could, how does how is legal defined? Uh, no uh, illegal substances, drugs, um, no alcohol. Um, so you know, it has to be has to be pretty uh, safe. Okay. But that still leaves quite a startling range of um, ingredients yeah. that you could possibly use. So literally um, legal, not just like these set of rules that we've defined. Is it an illicit uh, <laughs> substance or alcohol? No, go for it. Okay. Uh, you competed. How how many times have you been to the world championship? I know that there was a. I've been to the worlds twice. Twice. Was that 2011, 2013? Yes, well done. Thank you. <laughs> I took notes. I've prepared. So well I, I, I do know that uh, in 2011, you were, you were third, and then 2013, you were second. And then right in the middle, in 2012, uh, I saw that you competed in a different competition, a different competition called World Brewers Cup. So it's not a Correct. barista, it's brewers. What's the difference there? So that's, that's drip coffee, filter-style mm. coffee. So that's pretty much anything that isn't espresso, and that's very open as well. It doesn't have to be a drip coffee. It doesn't have to be a French press. You could literally take off your shoe and brew a coffee in it um, and serve it to the judges, and it's fair game. (laughs) So any way of combining water and coffee together and then producing a beverage that's low in strength, so you know drip coffee strength around in that sort of range, um, and you're safe to go. How, how would you be able to tell, is this espresso or have I like ran the shot long enough that this is now like, a, I guess that wouldn't be a drip, right? Because you're using yeah, an espresso yeah. machine? Okay. Well, you can make drip coffee with an espresso machine, but that's an entirely other kettle of fish that I won't go into. Okay. okay. Um, the way to measure the strength of the coffee is to put it on a refractometer that's been tuned for coffee. So mm. essentially you, par- you bounce light off it and then you can tell what the percentage of dissolved stuff is in the water. So we consider drip coffee to be anything from 0 to 2% dissolved solids. Mm. And espresso is generally 7% to 12%. Wow, that's amazing that you know that. That's my jam, Yeah, is, uh, measuring that stuff. I, I saw a video on YouTube of you showing people how to use that device. And it, yes. was, it was interesting. You, you like use an alcohol wipe to clean it down and then put a couple drops on and, and measure. That's really yeah, crazy. Yeah, it looks, it looks a little bit... Um, yeah, a little bit scientific and a little bit nerdy, and it is mm-hmm. um, most definitely. But it's um, it's pretty much the most useful tool we have, um, apart from our tongues. Great. So, so you mentioned the um, the type of coffee is obviously one thing, but there's also this performance aspect of the competition, and you have this 15 minute period of time to do that. 
Correct. So you can rock up on stage and make really delicious espressos, really delicious cappuccinos, and then really delicious signature drinks, and you'll get some good points. Um, but there's also um, a not insignificant portion of the score where essentially you're looking for synergy between the components. You're looking for not just a story, but you're looking for something that ties it all together and gives purpose and meaning or perhaps explains um, better what you do or what your aims are. So it's also not just a platform for um, showing your skills as a barista, but also showing um, your maybe your ethos or your thoughts about coffee, or maybe you've developed a new technique or um, technology to use with coffee. So you can um, bring that onto the stage and show that to the world. Um, but it also, um, because it is the competition, you're required to still make delicious drinks. So mm. the easiest way to put it is that the three courses, um, the espresso, the cap, and the signature drink, um, essentially need to be greater than the sum of the parts. Mm, okay, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. You mentioned that you can do kind of your own thing and come up with these different methods for making coffee or like a spin on more traditional methods of making coffee. Uh, in, in a video I saw of you competing at the Barista Championship, I noticed that you did a lot of different things. <laughs> you yeah, it seemed it like you were innovating in like almost every aspect of making the coffee using a different grinder and, and some other things. Can you mention some of those things? And do you still use those today to make coffee? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, I used a grinder that's never really been used for espresso before mm -hmm. um, to make espresso. Turns out that it was a much better way of making espresso, uh, which was great. Uh, and that seems to have been adopted all around the world. So I guess that manufacturer used to sell 60 a year, and now they're selling about 350 of those grinders a month. Perhaps in a large um, part due to you, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I, I get nice emails That's good. Um, from them, and I now work for them a little bit. But um, that, that sort of, uh, I'm not going to say revolutionized, because that's maybe a little bit, um, a little bit rich, um, but it definitely changed the way that a lot of people thought about espresso, which, mm. which is why I compete. Um, it's to help further the industry and help to innovate within the confines of the competition. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't mind about winning or not winning. Um, I'd much rather um, be the guy that people talk about or you know maybe draw inspiration from. So I also um, worked with a dairy farmer. We've got a really great uh, dairy farmer that we work with at all of our cafes here in Melbourne at St. Ali and Sensory Lab. Mm. And uh, he's biodynamic. He's been in the business, um, the biodynamic business, as you know, as long as I've been alive, um, which isn't very long. Um, <laughs> but you know, maybe for biodynamic in Australia, it is quite a long time. Mm -hmm. And he's got one herd of um, beautiful Frisian and Jersey cows, and he let me screw with their diet, um, which was very generous. Um, he allowed me to really shake up their digestive systems for the for the day before milking, just mm -hmm. to see if we could get a really unique flavor out of the milk. Mm -hmm. uh, and it turns out that when you freak out a, a cow's um, digestive system, it kills off the, uh, the bacteria that it had developed for the previous feed and then creates a lot of new bacteria that's optimized for this new feed. So whenever a cow enters a new field or a new area or has a new diet, it actually sort of tailors the bacteria in its stomach to cope with it. And it was that um, freak out sort of period that um, I used when we milked the cow. So we fed it clover for an entire 24-hour period, uh, which is normally a cow's dessert. Like they freak out on clover. They really love it. <laughs> um, so we, he put them on the clover field, three cows. Um, their names were, uh, oh goodness, I've forgotten. One was called Blossom. One was called, uh, I've forgotten. He named the cows and they're really I heard. Cute. I heard of Freckles. Freckles, that's it. Hold okay, on. yeah. Um, <laughs> And then uh, we used that milk, and it actually tasted like green uh, matcha tea. 
that, straight out of the cow. That is so strange. So um, that was really fun. Something else I noticed is when you were preparing, I, I don't know the terminology, I've never made espresso. I think it's called like a tamper. Is that what it, that device is called where you're... Yes. Okay, so you put the, you put the grounds in after you've um, taken them out of the grinder. And then I noticed you have this different technique of pressing the grinds with the tamper like you're it's a rotating motion yeah so that was that was a that technique was a little bit under duress um due to the machines at the competition they mm. were a little bit fast so with that different grinder that i was using it's not so great at restricting the flow from an espresso machine mm. which is you know quite a lot of pressure mm-hmm. um, so i had to sort of compress the grinds a little bit more than usual sort of mashing them together to slow the shots down um, so it's not ideal um, and unfortunately, a lot of people around the world have sort of started doing it because um, I may not have explained myself very well. Um, but I, it's sort of um, necessary under certain circumstances. Oh, I see. So it was, it was just something you had to do. It's not like this yeah. fancy technique that you want to promote or anything like that. No. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> I guess related to the tamper, because I, I noticed this too as I was uh, checking out your website, is you have a lot of videos and articles that are very technical and i'm sure like even listeners of the show would just like eat that stuff up um, because we love technical (laughs) stuff you know uh, talking about this grinder that you've used this ek43 which is i would love to own but it's extremely expensive um but correct uh, also what i noticed was a study of tampers which anybody that doesn't we just talked about this but anybody that doesn't do uh any kind of espresso making it's that you know plunger thing or whatever that you see people pushing the compressing the coffee before running the shot through i noticed that you have kind of designed your own tamper is that right yeah so we've just kind of taken the sort of geometries of the tamper a little bit further and thought about it a bit more and um made a slightly more precision instrument um and originally i thought that it was just gonna it was going to help me do that weird tamping technique that we just talked about Mm -hmm. and then that kind of turned into uh, a tamper that ends up uh doing it better and it's probably weird to think of something that's circle and flat being more circle and more flat Mm. uh than the other people um but it turned out to just be like the corner of the tamper not having a curved edge on it and then we put a straight edge on it so it It gives you like a more surface area on the bottom yeah and like obviously with circles if you're dealing with the circumference of a circle small changes at the circumference make a big change to the overall total area um so we we ended up finding two more square centimeters with a very small change in diameter and size. So when you're not competing, and uh, it sounds like you work in a cafe at least occasionally, is that true? Yeah, I, tr- I, tr- I try to do at least a shift a week whenever okay. I'm in Melbourne, which isn't too often, because mm-hmm. um, I'm usually traveling around um, doing various coffee-related things around the world. But uh, I do try to keep making coffee, otherwise all the baristas will get faster than me, and then I'll have I'll be nothing. <laughs> without without my bar speed. Also, <laughs> oh, speed is a thing. Okay, that it was. Is that a speed in the competition, or is that a thing in the competition as well? Speed. Are you uh, graded on e- that? Efficiency of movement is definitely key because okay. um, there isn't too much time. Those people with the clipboards are. Is that what they're doing? There's. It looks like there was a person on each side of you, and every movement you make, they would like dip with you and lean in and lean out, and they're like watching you. you yeah. Know. So yeah, efficiency of movement, like you know, don't double handle things. Mm. Is your is your work area and everything that you're going to touch and um, use is it thought out? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, some people have been known to hire choreographers, which is uh, you know not not a silly idea. Uh, choreographers are great with movement, so. Um, if they can help you sort of shave a few seconds here and there, it all adds up. Okay. And yeah, you only have 15 minutes. 
it's like you said, nine o'clock in the morning. You may or may not have had a cup of coffee this morning. When you make coffee for yourself, what is your what is your favorite cup of coffee to have? Well, my home is a coffee-free zone uh, because there's too much of it everywhere else. Mm. So uh, generally, I'll pop into work and have um, it's what we call a. I think it came from America. Actually, it's called a uh, Biggie Smalls. So essentially, you just get a cappuccino and an espresso, um, one from either side of the portafilter. So two spouts, each cup, one with milk, one black. Porter filter. Is that the uh, little thing so that's that the, comes that's, Yeah, that's the handle with the spouts that you uh, have the coffee in. Oh. Um, put that into the machine, and if you've got two spouts, you can split it up and get two drinks out of one. Wow, interesting. And I don't have an espresso machine at home. I bet you a lot of people don't have espresso. Well, you don't have anything at home, but I brew coffee at home, and I have like mm-hmm. the usual type stuff. Um, you know, the V60. I have like... AeroPress. What what is if you were to brew coffee? What what technique do you use the most? Uh, V60 is great at home. So is AeroPress. Mm. Um, both of them are really good choices. Um, they both produce. Um, you can produce very different types of coffee with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I quite enjoy uh, V60 because you can make a lot of coffee with it. Um, so like with family or friends or things like that, you can you know you could put out a fair amount of coffee in not too much time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the AeroPress, you can make a much more sort of textural, rich cup of coffee because it's filtered a little bit less. So you still have some of those sort of suspended solids in the drink, some of that, um, some of that uh, undissolved stuff creating richness. So if you're after sort of like uh, neat, thin kind of um, clarity to the drink, mm-hmm. then V60 is really great. But AeroPress can get a bit chewy, which is great on occasion. I usually use it just because it's quicker. Yep. Um, uh, when you use uh, the V60 then, do you have a specific technique that you like to use? What, what process do you go through? So essentially, I almost always use around 60 to 65 grams of coffee per liter of water. You can scale that up or scale that down to however much coffee you want to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then however much coffee you've got in the cone, pour in twice the amount, twice the weight of that in, with boiling water. Um, give it a really solid stir like whip it like eggs uh, with a spoon. And then after 30 seconds, pour the rest of the water in nice and evenly over the top and then just let it drain through. And it should take, you know, two to three minutes Okay. and happy days. Yeah, that's that's not too much longer than the AeroPress. When you uh, say boiling, you just take it right off the, right off the stove? And Straight in, yep. That's awesome. That's so much easier. The best thing about boiling water is that it's constant and you can't screw it up because you can't hit 101. No matter how hard you try, yeah. you cannot get to 101. So it's a really nice constant to use when brewing coffee. It's a really good point. I just like it because it takes the variable. Like I don't have to set a timer to decide when I can use my water or not. I don't need a thermometer or anything like that. Just boil it. So. That's why I love boiling. Yeah. Exactly right. So do you roast beans as well? I do focus a lot on roasting as well, yeah. So most of my job is coffee quality. Mm-hmm. And that means that I can be focusing at coffee farms. Um at Origin, a fair bit of my travel is that. I also focus on our roasting program and at our bars as well. So I'm really lucky that I can touch every aspect of coffee quality. And roasting is one of my favorites because I can get even more nerdy and even more technical with it. Do you have? Uh, do you roast just for the coffee shop, or do you? Oh, I guess you want to roast at home. You already you already answered that question. I know some people have these crazy home roaster things, and it's like a giant mess with smoke everywhere and. And, and all this kind probes of probes and yeah. yeah. So um, I'm, I'm kind of precious with roasting, and we've we've got a really good thing set up at work where mm-hmm. we've got you know everything's 
data logged, everything's probed, it's all known quantities. And um, once you take that away, then it's kind of, it's fun, but you don't get the same result. Uh, some people would measure everything and then not really get a better result, but I'd rather just leave it to our roasters who are really good <laughs> at making <laughs> coffee brown. <laughs> that makes sense. When you when you uh, you talk about um, kind of ruining the coffee, what do you look for when you drink a cup of coffee? Other, I mean, obviously you don't you don't take every coffee coffee and stick it on this refractometer and measure the density of the coffee. How do you decide if this coffee is horrible or, or good? Pretty quickly um, is one answer. Um, it's very easy to know if a coffee's bad or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main things the main things to look for with coffee is the first is sweetness um, and acidity and the balance between them. So coffee is a fruit. It's the seed of a cherry. It's mm-hmm. not a it's not just a bean. Mm-hmm. Um, and fruits have really lovely fruity flavors. Um, so so should coffee. So the um, balance of natural sort of ripe sweetness and acidity is the real key to quality coffee. Because that's what gives you, um, it's what makes your mouth enjoy it and what most people's palates will enjoy a coffee when it's fruity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, you've got cleanliness. Obviously, you don't want it to taste like ferment or um, dirtiness or anything like that. So cleanliness is a big one. And then there's, you can get really, really technical and move into like, you know, mouthfeel, finish, um, you know, roasting qualities, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But if it's sweet and fruity and clean, that's you know that's nine out of ten for me. Is sediment a thing? Do you ever cons- do you ever think about the amount of sediment in the coffee? Yeah, I, I always try to minimize um, sediment. So I'm not a big fan of French press because it's impossible to get rid of the um, the sediment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, very big fan of um, filtered filtered brewing methods for sure. Mm. And since you've been in the coffee game for, uh, I think you said six years, have you yep. noticed any? changes in the way that people are making coffee? Is there any kind of movement towards something than when you first started? Uh, I think generally a lot more people are roasting lighter, so they're not Mm. um, roasting the beans as far. So I guess the quality of coffee is um, more acidic, lighter, um, less heavy and earthy and chocolatey, and moving towards more fruity, um, floral, bright styles. And that's a good and a bad thing um, because it's really hard to roast coffee lightly well. so, you know, sometimes they might go too far and then it'll start tasting like grass or um, sort of weird, soury, vegetal kind of flavors. Yeah. So that that's a big trend, um, which is good and bad at the same time, I guess. Um, another trend is that people, I guess, are sourcing coffee that's much more uh, traceable than mm. it ever used to be. So, you know, people know the farm, they know the farmer's name, they know um, the altitude of the farm, they could probably point to it on Google Maps, yeah. um, all that kind of stuff. That doesn't necessarily mean that the coffee's going to be better or that they even have a relationship with that farmer that's beneficial, but it's at least a step forward for traceability um, and the provenance or knowing the provenance of a coffee um, to be able to further understand it and possibly, um, hopefully, engage in a more meaningful relationship with producers. Mm. I live in, like I said, I live in Portland, Oregon, and I've never saturation. been saturation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I've I've never been to Australia, but I would love to visit because it sounds like the coffee scene there is pretty awesome. If I were to describe the Portland coffee scene, it's every single block is a coffee shop, and they're all pretty good compared to other places I've been around the world. It's it's pretty good coffee, and and people 
seem to enjoy making it. And a lot of the customers like to go to the same coffee shop every day. And like mm-hmm. you mentioned, knowing the origin of the beans, a lot of the coffee shops around here are like, here's where we get our beans. And, you know, we roast our beans right over yeah. here. And, you know, what's, here, what's your favorite shop in Portland? Uh, I go to uh, uh, Cafe Familia, which is um, in the Pearl District, which is where I live in Portland. And okay. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a pretty small. It's a very if I were to describe it, it's a very hipster coffee shop. It's like you know they're yeah. they're working out of a garage, and the and the entire back area, which is like a warehouse, is just they're roasting where they have all their beans and they're roasting them. Mm-hmm. And um, but there's not a place to sit down really other than than outside. Um, yep. So what's classic? The, yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. What's the scene like there uh, where you live? So I guess we have the coffee. And we have the coffee scene and we have the hipster baristas and the roasting and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, the big draw card for Melbourne's coffee scene is that it's also tied into a really strong food scene at the same time. Mm. So um, a lot of cities have good restaurants and a lot of cities have good coffee. Um, but Melbourne's cafe food is easily the best in the world um, on average. Wow. Tied in with pretty good coffee. So that's really the draw card. That's like most of my friends who come in from the U.S., or uh, from Europe, and they come here and there's like a cafe that they want to go to straight off the plane because, not because of the coffee, but because of the food. Um, And it's like all of them say, it's like, damn it, I just want brunch and I'm not in Melbourne and this sucks. I hate LA or I hate San Francisco. Where's brunch? Yeah, it sounds totally different. (laughs) That's the key is the, the mix of the food and the coffee at the same time. Wow. Well, yeah, most of the cafes here don't serve food at all. And the ones that do, it sucks. It's like an afterthought. It's horrible sandwiches. It is key for profitability in Australia because uh, labor costs in Australia are much higher than the States um, for baristas. So we really have to have a higher average spend per customer um, and we have to have a slightly higher profit margin on the food that, on the things that we're serving. Coffee doesn't have as high a profit margin as um, food does. Mm. So it's, it's just sort of born out of um, uh, necessity, really. Do you serve food then? Uh, well, I guess you would. You serve food at at the, your cafe as well? Yeah, so at St. Ali, we have a full kitchen, um, full prep area. We've got chefs that have worked at um, extreme fine dining restaurants. Um, our uh, exec chef um, has been all around the world. He's worked um, alongside you know, Marco Pierre Wyatt. He worked um, underneath uh, the other Marco who trained uh, Marco Pierre Wyatt a long time ago. He's mm-hmm. worked at um, amazing restaurants in London and he, they're bringing that sort of restaurant quality food and putting it into a cafe setting and creating cafe food. So you're not walking in getting a beautifully plated, you know, venison uh, with a tiny little bit of potato next to it. You're getting a full cafe meal with uh, the integrity and the skill from fine dining, which I must say for staff meals is pretty all right. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a nice perk. So uh, do people eat at cafes more than just breakfast then? Is it more than just like yeah. a morning coffee? Oh yeah, breakfast, lunch. But not dinner? So, no, no, most cafes are closed for dinner. Okay. But soon we hope to open for dinner because okay. we have such a strong team, we decided we should probably do dinner as well. Um, so yeah, very big lunch culture as well. Breakfast, lunch, brunch, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, lots of cafes that are um, just plating huge numbers of food. Uh, I got to visit. Think, uh, it's, yeah, it's just... So different. And I remember the first time I ever went to uh, Vancouver, which is not the States, but um, the cafe scene is very similar. Mm. And they were freaking out because we were going to go to the cafe and have brunch and there were going to be eggs. And I was kind of like, oh, that's nice, guys. Um, That sounds really cool. 
Um, <laughs> and they were like, oh, it only happens on Saturdays because it's really special. It's brunch. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That's funny. That's quaint. There's a couple. Um, there's a couple really good brunch spots around here, but you're right. It's 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 one or the other. You know, if I go to get really really good brunch, I know the coffee's gonna suck. It's like coffee in a vat in the back, and they just keep refilling your cup every ten seconds. Yeah. Or I can go get really good coffee, and they don't even like. They're so focused on coffee, they don't even want to touch food. That's just not what they yeah. do. And I, I've been reading a few articles recently, um, especially in New York and a little bit in LA about what they're calling Aussie style cafes. Mm. Um, inverted commas, where it is a lot of food and good coffee at the same time, um, seems to be seems to be uh, quite popular. I was checking out your website, and I don't know how I found it, but it seems like you just competed in um, this year in a different competition uh, with where, that involves mixing alcohol with coffee. Can you correct? Can you talk about that? What is that? So this one's called Coffee and Good Spirits. Okay, um, bit of a pun name, uh, and it's uh, quite a quite a simple competition compared to the other ones because there isn't so many drinks mm. um, and it does open up uh, the avenue of mixing alcohol with coffee which is um, as I mentioned not allowed in the other competitions yeah so in the first round you make a hot drink and a cold drink um, with coffee and if there's a sponsor alcohol for the competition you know you might need to use that one as well um, this year it was Grand Monnier so lots of uh, orangey sort of based drinks flying around. And then for the final round, you make your signature drink with that alcohol. And then you also make an Irish coffee, of course. Of course. Of course. An, an interesting spin, I'm sure, that you try to do. Yeah, I'm, I tried to make the richest, heaviest, just sweetest, most dessert style um, Irish coffee uh, ever. And they seem to enjoy it. Did you light it on fire or anything like that? Uh, there was fire in my other drink. Okay. There was much, much fire. And that was one of the aims that I definitely went into the competition with was I definitely wanted to create at least a small fireball. <laughs> I, my first time having an Irish coffee, that's all I remember actually, is they just lit it on fire before putting it down on the table. So I didn't know if that was... Yeah, I, I didn't know if that I've was I've never thing. seen a uh, Irish coffee on fire. Yeah, doesn't sound like a very reputable place if, if that sounds weird to you, but uh, <laughs> I definitely I definitely remember it. It was some place in San Francisco. It was a bar, so I'm sure the the coffee wasn't that good. Um, how how long has that competition been around? I, I've never heard of it before. Not as long as the barista competition. Okay, um, I couldn't tell you how many years exactly, but it's definitely a younger uh, younger competition. <clears throat> it's a newer one. Okay, mm. and it's not frequented by as much uh, alcohol professionals. It's frequented much more by coffee professionals who are also involved in alcohol so that's that that skew you don't you don't make coffee at home but i'm gonna ask you for a suggestion anyway because i mm -hmm. assume that you'll still have one but for me if i wanted to let's assume i have no equipment and i want to start doing um, v60 brewing at home do you have any recommendations yep. for stuff that i can that i can pick up to mm -hmm. to make like the best v60 coffee that i can make at home most important thing you need apart from the v60 itself yes which uh you don't need a special decanter. You don't need a special mug. You don't need a special kettle. You just need something that you can pour boiling water out of into the V60. Mm -hmm. The most important thing is a set of scales. Mm. Crucial to making good coffee. If you're not using scales, your coffee will never be consistent and you'll always be struggling. Is the, is the grinder pretty important too? The grinder is definitely important. But for a V60 where the brewing time is up around, you know, two and a half, three minutes, mm -hmm. not as crucial as it would be for an espresso coffee. Okay. 
that's good to know. Right now, I have yeah, so I you, have a hand grinder, and it takes me yep. like fifteen minutes to make like my, my coffee. It's kind of annoying, but uh, maybe been, you should uh, just set it a little bit coarser, and then um, yeah, it'll, it'll be a little bit easier. Well, I use it. I use it for the AeroPress too, which I guess uh, you're supposed to have a finer grind. And the process of changing the grind settings is so laborious that I just like True. leave it at super fine, and then you could uh, you could grind coarser and use this and just brew the AeroPress for a bit longer. Mm. That it's totally fine as well. Um, you could probably get the same grind setting for both. That would work well. Cool. Uh, I'm but try yeah, it. it's just it's just all about time. What grinder should I get though? Even though it doesn't matter. Uh, Hario sells some really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Japanese um, company that sells some nice hand grinders. Uh, there's one called Porlex, a little ceramic uh, ceramic burr. Um, it fits inside an AeroPress, which is great for travel. Oh, that's interesting. So it sort of slides inside. It's like it was made for it. Yeah. Really nice uh, collaboration there. Unintended collaboration. Yeah. Uh, and there's another one. If you know, obviously, as you said, there's technical people who are going to be listening to this. Um, my brothers. Uh, there's a grinder called a Commandant. It's from Germany, and it's like a super precision hand grinder. It's got like really nice bearings. It's got metal burrs. This sounds like the one it, I need to get. This, yeah, this is the one. So Commandant. Um, how, do, how do I spell that? C O M M A N D A N T E. Okay. And it's, I haven't used it myself, but um, people that I, uh, whose opinions I respect greatly have been um, praising it. Sold. I'm getting it. Done. Thank you. So uh, what else do you do besides make and drink coffee? Uh, cook delicious food and drink wine. Oh, you're, you're a chef too? Not a chef. Um, I just sort of at home like to, get, like to get a little bit geeky with food. That still counts. What type of food do you make? Uh, so recently, I got a uh, like a immersion circulator, sous vide sort of style um, thing, and I've been following these guys. Uh, they're in Seattle. It's a blog, oh, sort of blog, online cooking website called Chef Steps. Chef Steps. Um, they um, they're all uh, Beard. Uh, is it Beard? James Beard. James. Like is, a, that, a, is that a person? No, it's a uh, like a food award in the states. Oh, I don't. I don't even um, know. I'm not for, too, for too chefs. tied in. Something Beard Foundation, um, sort of like winners, um, they created a book, or a, a number of them created a book called uh, Modernist Cuisine, mm. and uh, their sort of technique of really um, analyzing food from uh, just like a basic scientific kind of angle, and then sort of trying to maximize the deliciousness of it um, through through that angle, um, and measuring everything and being quite precise sort of works for my brain and the way I like to think. And uh, they sort of cook a lot with sous vide and sort of fixed temperature, long time cooking. So I can sort of wake up in the morning, chuck a uh, a pork shoulder into the um, into the water bath, come home at night, and then I have a delicious delicious meal ready for me. Science is your jam, man. I love how it is. everything you do has got like science just all wrapped up in there. Timers, you know, you weigh everything. If can, yeah, just... if I can if I can knuckle it down and sort of dial it in. I'll I'll try my best. Yeah, I'm gonna put a link to your website, of course, because I I want people to check it out. Because these articles that I'm looking at, I, I mean, I don't even like I don't care that much about the grinder and the specifics of the grinder, or you know, really anything. I I love, I I do think about it, but I could not, I cannot even imagine writing an articles in depth about about the things you've written. So it's great diagrams, oh, pictures. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I've learned a lot. Uh, um, t- if anyone wants to comment beneath them, if they have any questions too, I'm usually on there answering questions and getting amongst it. Okay, that's cool. That's good to know. This is awesome. Do you have anything that you want to 
want to add or share with people or like do you have anything you want to promote or anything? Not really. I um I guess you know read the website see if you know coffee is um something that gets your your brain ticking. Mm-hmm. Um I guess we're we're a pretty young industry so we're um we're always sort of trying to reach out to try and find ways of making coffee better. Yeah. Um it's a very young, very sort of um vol- volatile in a good way and innovative industry. So if anyone has any uh outside sort of uh, insights into the way that we're doing things uh we're ready to learn as an industry and um me especially i love being proved wrong so you know if people are interested in coffee uh there's lots of people that want to hear about you know someone else's profession and how that might influence what we're doing always open yeah me included thanks for sharing (laughs) how can how can people contact you if they want to share something or have a question uh on my website there's an email address uh mattperger.com okay um, on, I think, uh, one of the links in there. Um, if not, there's the, obviously the comments section down below. Um, if anyone has any questions or anything they want to talk about, uh, always happy. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank I, you. I, I'm literally going to go buy, buy the grinder right now and uh, make some coffee. <laughs> <laughs> it's apparently a really good one, and it shouldn't take so long, so that's good. And that's all we have for this week. If you want to head over to Matt's website, there's a link in the show notes at healthyhacker.com slash 12. And if you have any questions or comments you want to talk about on another episode, send me a voicemail at healthyhacker.com slash voicemail.